All right, so we're going to continue on through the sermon series of the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? We've been going through it for the last several weeks. If we were to break it down into fruit juices, it would look like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits um, of the Spirit, the things that God produces in us. And at the same time, uh, these are things that we would like to have. I can't think of anyone that wouldn't want to have these things in their life. Um, and so when we partner with God, that He's producing these in us, and at the same time we want these things, uh, this is a process that we call discipleship, that Jesus is the teacher and we are the students. And so we partner with Him in this process called discipleship, and we grow together uh, in Christ. So how do we grow as students of Jesus? Essentially, we root ourselves in him. I've been using the example that you don't just go to the store and you buy this beautiful plant and then all of a sudden you just come home and you go to the front door and you take it out of the pot and you just throw it out into the yard and you're like, good luck, buddy. I hope that you grow, right? You, you pick a spot for it. You already have a spot for it to put a plant right there and you get the soil ready and you make sure that it's got water and you love it and you go outside and you speak to it and you're like oh that's great so that's how we treat plants and so when we think about being intentional with plants that we also want to be intentional with our time how do we intentionally grow in Christ in that we are rooted in him in that we pray, we speak to God on a regular basis. We have fellowship because following Jesus was never meant to be just an individual thing. I don't follow Jesus by myself, and nor are there any examples within the Bible of people following Jesus by themselves. And at the same time, I also share or demonstrate the gospel to those around me. And so in these ways, I root myself to him and I, I grow. And as any of you know who follow Jesus, sometimes you're like, yeah, I'm growing. This is really good. And you're like, maybe we should stop the growth here because this is really hard. Um, that's just how it is. We follow him and, and, and we grow. So the text of the fruit of the Spirit comes from Galatians in chapter 5. And in this book, Paul is explaining the difference between someone who attempts to live by the law or the rules and someone who is a new creation in Christ or led by the Spirit, and thus you have the fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians 5, chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So this week we're going to be looking at one of the fruits of the Spirit, which is goodness. Uh, what is it and how can we grow in it? Uh, first, we have to understand what godly goodness is and where it comes from. So how do we grow in the fruit of goodness? And this is kind of an interesting one uh, because first, no one is good except for God alone. So when we're talking about growing in goodness, we have to understand that no one is good other than God alone or that we are not good in and of ourselves, which I'll have to break down, which should be really 
fun why we're not good. Um, so in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on, his fi- fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Which is a very interesting statement by Jesus, which I, I'm not necessarily going to break down. But he says, no one is good except for God alone. And so when he says that, um, obviously that includes you and me, that there is no one good except for God. Um, Back in the time of the Reformation, there were several big theologians that came out of that, Martin Luther being one of them. Um, But at the same time, there was another gentleman called uh, John Calvin. And um, I have to laugh about this because this will probably be the first time and maybe the last time I bring up John Calvin in church. He's generally known as an individual that came up with the theology of predestination, uh, predestination, that you were either predestined to be saved or you were predestined to not be saved, which I don't agree with. But John Calvin did, he is a fantastic theologian in many ways, which doesn't necessarily mean we have to agree with him. But he came, there's an acronym that follows with John Calvin um, which is called TULIP. And so I'm all, I don't even really know what the other ones are, to be honest. All I know is the, the one that has stood out to me in the acronym, T-U-L-I-P, is the first one, which is total depravity, um, which is really funny. But I think it actually does a pretty good job of, of explaining um, just our state in terms of um, who we are because of sin. And I, I know that it's, it's kind of hard to accept and it's kind of weird. Um, my wife and I were riding our bikes on the river trail yesterday, as we do, and I'm always struck by the amount. I have my headphones in oftentimes, and sometimes when I don't ride, I realize that like almost everyone is saying hi to me and I don't say anything back to them. And so yesterday we were riding our bikes and I was thinking about this sermon and total depravity, which is only a portion of this. And this woman, she looked like she almost crashed because she's like, hi, you know, she's so nice and kind. And, and I was riding my bike past her. And I'm like, oh, so weird. You're totally depraved. Like this is so, like what's going on? You're so nice. But most of us see the good that we do and we think that we're maybe good. And... But at the same time, we all know the bad that we think and do as well. So we're like, oh, well, I'm kind of good, but, you know, not totally good if I'm being honest. But the Bible says that we aren't good and that the stain of sin, when Adam and Eve choose to sin and eat of the fruit that they shouldn't have, um, is throughout mankind. So when we think about it personally, I think this is difficult for us because we're like, no, actually, I'm, I'm kind of good. It's easier to see the fallenness or depravity of mankind when you look at the whole of mankind, when you look around. I don't think that that's hard. You're like, wow, all these things happening in terms of like uh, trafficking of children, wars, greed, um, all of these things that are um, happening, it's easy to see the world as kind of being like messed up. But oftentimes, personally, it can be hard to accept because we think, well, I'm kind of good sometimes, uh, not as often as I'd like, maybe. So it can kind of be difficult. But, you know, and Paul in Romans lines it out and he says it like this. 
What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So this is Paul. None is righteous. No, not one. All have turned aside and become worthless. And so when we read this um, again, I know that earlier on in my faith, I kind of wrestled with this. And before I became a believer, I thought (laughs) in some way, shape or form, I thought that I was like somewhat good. Even though as I look back, (laughs) there's just, I had nothing. Um, I know that I'm messed up as I look back on my life. And I can see that, um, yes, I was very broken and that I was a broken individual. I think that this can be harder for people who see themselves as like mostly good people, didn't have the childhood that I had, you know, partying and drinking and girls and all this. Um, Some people that would say, I only cuss in my mind. I follow all the traffic laws. I grew up listening to Petra and DC talk. Any? Okay, there you are. Thank you for self-identifying the Petra and DC talk crowd. Now, alcohol has never touched my lips. I compost, all of these things. (laughs) Here's the deal. In reality, because of sin, we carry, or carried, the stain of sin within us from birth. This is the biblical narrative. We we are not good. And even our good deeds aren't good. So you're like, well, I did good deeds. I do good deeds. I, you know, before I knew Christ, I, I was like mostly a good person. I did really good things. Um, but even at that, you know, Isaiah uh, chapter 64, um, verse 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, <coughs> we wither and fall, and our sin sweeps us away like the wind. Even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So for those of us who are humanists, which most of us probably are in the room, whether or not you know what that is or even think about it, in that we have this higher uh, idea or perspective on ourselves or humans in general, um, the Bible is clear that no one is righteous, no one is seeking God, all have turned aside and become worthless, and that when we even display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Not because I don't want to diminish our value, 
And I think that when I say these things, we can say like, well, gosh, that makes me sound like I'm worthless. No, not at all. I think it's just an understanding of what sin does to us and what sin does to our relationship with God. And so that ultimately is the thing that makes our even good deeds as filthy rags before the Lord. So where is the starting point for the fruit of goodness? Well, biblically speaking, it's in the redeeming act of Jesus. And that's it. Full stop. There's nothing we can do. We cannot make ourselves righteous. We can't do enough good deeds uh, to ultimately, uh, for God to say like, okay, you're good. Because, it, and I hear this a lot from folks, the problem in terms of sin is not about good or bad. It's not about you being good or bad. It's about you being dead or alive. If, you, if you're in sin, then you are dead and you need to be made alive again. And so where's the starting point for the fruit of goodness? Well, it has to be in the redeeming act of Jesus right here, that his death on the cross. And so when we look, go all the way back, and, and Paul does a great job of describing all of these things, the penalty of sin is death. That's it. That's the penalty of sin, is death. And so Jesus dies to pay the penalty of sin. So when you ask yourself why he has to go to the cross, why can't he just be a good teacher that teaches good things and helps me out and takes me to yoga retreats and you know all of these things? Well, he has to die on the cross because the penalty of sin is death, meaning that he has to die. He has to pay that penalty. And so Jesus defeats sin and death. And so the proof that we have about this is the resurrection. And so we see that Jesus does this. He does what no one else has ever done. He ends up being this sacrifice for us because, again, the penalty of sin is death. And so that penalty has to be paid because God is just and so God sends his own son in our image to pay the price for us. Because he's good. In Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 21 through 26, this is what Paul says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift <clears throat> through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. There was, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In terms of the way that our relationship works with God, in terms of the biblical narrative or, or how we're to understand, in Adam all have sinned. And so you're thinking like, Adam, man. Adam. <laughs> but here's the thing. When we think about it in that, that way, there, the, the reality is that, that Adam represents, both, he is himself, but he also represents mankind. And all of us would have done the same at some point in time in that narrative. 
it would only take a period of time before we too would have sinned. And so in Adam all have sinned. And so then God sends down and Jesus chooses to come down to also represent mankind. And so that he is also uh, represents mankind in that he is the last Adam representing mankind and that in Christ the forgiveness of sins is available to all. So again, Jesus isn't just another good man teaching good things. In fact, if you were to look at Jesus' teaching and think Jesus is just trying to teach us good things, a lot of his things are really odd and weird. But if you understand that the narrative is about life and death and it's about redemption and it's about his sacrifice and, and, get, and putting us into the family of God, they start to make uh, a lot of sense. So Jesus isn't just a good man teaching good things. In, in a bigger sense, this is kind of wild, but it's part of the biblical narrative, that Jesus is like creation and Adam reborn but without sin. Kind of wild. Because the wages of sin is death. And so God sends his son, perfect, without sin, to be that perfect sacrifice so that we, if we are in him, can be born again. This is why that language is in the New Testament that I have to be born again. Because if you're not born again, then you're under the old Adam, the original Adam. But if you're born again, then you're in Christ or the last Adam. And so you're either under this covenant to where there is no goodness inside of you because you are dead because of sins, or you're under this covenant here where you are alive in Christ. So he gives us the opportunity to become born again, which when I first started following Jesus, I thought that was, that was some type of weird cult. And like, who are all the born again people? This is the born again group. That was all weird. But then I'm like, oh, wow. That we can become new creations in Christ. And that ultimately, there's nothing we can do it's we follow the old Adam, but when we're in Christ, we actually become God's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I think it's my favorite scripture. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? This isn't like a good like moralistic teaching from a good moral teacher, although he was, had good morals. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That in Christ we are now the righteousness of God. We, we are... We are uh, represent what he has done inside of us. We're his righteousness. So although I have no righteousness inside of myself, God gives me his righteousness that I am now the righteousness of God. So what is the starting point for the fruit of goodness in my life? Well, Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. When we're talking about the goodness, the fruit of goodness, this is something that comes from him. 
in John, I think this is really a good illustration here in John 7, verses 37 through 39, right? If I'm in Christ, Jesus says that living waters will flow out of me. Not because Sean, but because I'm in Christ. And living waters will flow out of me because of what it is that he's doing, because I'm a new creation in him, right? He has transformed me. I'm no longer under the old Adam, but I'm under the last Adam. <clears throat> so in Christ, the fruit of goodness will flow from you. Um, and knowing what we know about the condition of mankind, <laughs> and knowing that we have been given life as a free gift, how could we not go out and show people God's goodness? How could we not participate in God's redemptive mission? Again, if we look out, if we think about ourselves and we're like, well, I could be kind of good. But when we look out across mankind, we're like, man, this place needs help. There's so much hurt and pain in the world where I could insert myself. And I've been given this free gift of God. And so how could I not insert myself and demonstrate God's goodness to a world that is, is so in pain, even in Reading? You know, there's so much going on in Reading. I mean, there's uh, ACEs, ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, which is a test that talks about child abuse. I think we have like double the state average in Redding, California, because there's so much child abuse. In terms of domestic violence, we are really high in terms of like domestic violence, all sorts of things in the area. And even like, but it's not just like the people who are being abused. There are people who think that they're doing perfectly fine, but their lives are like totally falling apart in terms of substance abuse or like, right? Like we hang out with people who have very normal lives and make plenty of money whose lives are totally falling apart. So how could we not give back knowing that we are the righteousness of God in Christ and he's given us so much? My wife um, is a school teacher at Cypress Elementary School which is right next to her house. And so my wife was like, hey, I'm going to go teach at Cypress. And <laughs> like, yeah, it's cool. You can just walk to work. Well, we didn't know that Cypress basically has just one of the most difficult groups of kids in the city. And so you have a lot of transient families who are going from hotel to hotel. Uh, you have a lot of like abuse, all these things. And so um, there's a lot that goes on there. My wife comes home exhausted and the kids are just wild, like throwing tables, ripping things off of walls, cussing at teachers, all of these things. And so it's really hard. Uh, I, I'm bivocational and then I am also a therapist with almost exclusively people with substance abuse disorder. Um, and so I listened to some really painful stories. This last week was the first time in session with a client that I actually broke down and started crying with them. I continually go into my therapy sessions thinking I have heard it all. And then I'm blown away that I walk out thinking I would have never imagined that could have happened to a human being. My wife and I are all in, but I want you to understand this is crystal clear. We don't do what we do because we're good people. We do not. 
We do what we do because we're new creations in Christ. And to basically put it in like surfer terms, we are so stoked on being born again, what else would we do? Like the gift of being born again for both of us is so palpable in our lives, we couldn't even think but to try and demonstrate that to people who don't have Christ. Our lives are a reflection of a heart of gratitude. We're not trying to earn his approval. Jesus did that. I'm approved. 100%. I got the stamp, wherever that would go. 100% approved. Like, I'm, I'm good. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite theologians, um, he had said this, The church is not a religious community of worshipers of Christ, but is Christ himself who has taken form among people. We are his body. You and I, his body. When Jesus thinks about getting stuff done down here and demonstrating his goodness, he's doing his work, right? The Holy Spirit speaking with people, and I had this really weird dream, or I can't believe this coincidence has happened again and again, you know, but it's us. We're like the foot soldiers. We're his hands and his feet that go out there and do things, You, born again as the church, are Jesus' body. And we are Christ himself who has taken form among his people, those people who do not yet know. So, um, if you haven't been born again, when we take communion in a little bit, it's an awesome opportunity to be born again and yield your life to Christ, the King. But if you are born again... um, Who has God called you to, and what has Jesus asked you to do? How are you reflecting the goodness of God in your life? Because that's kind of, as we see the biblical narrative, they all, you know, you have the four Gospels, and then you have the book of Acts, which is the church going out and demonstrating all these things. And I think that oftentimes, you know, um, we tend to think of, like, spiritual superstars or people who do these crazy things or meet with like the worst people. Even the story I share, I mean, we meet with kind of rough people. Um, but it doesn't have to be like that. There are so many examples of people doing incredible work that just kind of did normal things. This guy right here, um, Saint, and he's a saint, Alphonsus Rodriguez. What a cool story. Um, he was a Jesuit, and so he was in the Jesuit order. But he never actually really made the cut. There were all these other people that did so much better than him, and so he never really kind of like got into like being a full-fledged um, Jesuit who went out as a missionary and do all these things. Jesuits are a part of the Catholic Church. And so I'm just wanting to read something about uh, St. Alphonsus. The Jesuits sent Rodriguez to the College of the Island of Merjoca, to work as a porter and a doorkeeper. So he wasn't intelligent enough to actually make it into going to seminary and all this stuff. And they're like, why don't you be the doorkeeper to the seminary? He assumed the responsibilities of receiving visitors, visitors and guests and carrying their luggage, tracking down students or priests when they were needed, delivering messages and distributing gifts to the poor. While other Jesuits traveled the globe evangelizing whole nations, Alonzo carried bags and ran errands for 46 years. 
But students began to seek him out, realizing that their doorkeeper was a man of unusual wisdom and faith. His Jesuit superiors started to take notice as well and asked him to begin a private record of his life and thoughts. Rodriguez struck up a notable friendship with one young man, Peter Claver, who I talked about last week, and advised him to volunteer for the South American missions Following his advice, St. Peter Claver eventually taught, baptized, and spoke out for the rights of over 300,000 slaves in South America. Right? He's the guy I talked about last week. When the slaves would get off the boat, he would run up to them and try and convert as many of them as possible and then would tell the slave owners, this is a brother in Christ. Watch how you treat him. And he did this for years, over 300,000 slaves. When Brother Alonzo died in 1617, his superiors examined the written records he had left behind describing his spiritual life. What they found was the life of a saint and mystic. His approach uh, was simple. Christ was appearing in every person who appeared at the door. The task was to encounter God in any task. And that's what he would say. He would say, every person who came to the door. Again, this guy didn't make it. He wasn't super special in any way. didn't have like these great talents. But they placed him in opening the door for people at the seminary. And he just assumed that every person who walked up, he was just speaking to Christ himself. I mean, the Catholics have a saint that was a doorkeeper at a seminary. If that doesn't break down, like, you can do amazing things that are very simple. So, um, he's a cool guy. Uh, we're going to do a question for Jesus. We've been doing this each week through the sermon series. And basically what it is, we're just going to ask Jesus a very simple question. And then you're just going to listen and see what he says in response to all of this. It's just a practice about hearing the voice of God. Jesus is here. The Holy Spirit is here. God is here. And God speaks to us because that's who he is. He is the living God. And in all of creation, we have the unique distinction being able to be in this intimate relationship with him. And so I'm going to put the question up on the screen here, and we're going to take about a minute. And if you generally don't hear Jesus speaking to you, then just take what it is, the first thing that comes into your head that would even sound like Jesus. You're like, that sounds like Jesus. If you hear something else, which often happens to everyone, you're like, did I leave the toaster on? Just be like, don't think that's Jesus. Just like go for the next one. Right, um, and then what we're going to do after about a minute is then you're just going to share with a neighbor if you're comfortable, if you're not comfortable sharing with a neighbor or someone you're sitting next to, what it is that you heard that Jesus uh, said to you in your question, okay? So, Jesus, to whom and how can I show your goodness? So we're just going to take a minute, meditate on that, and then we'll share it with one another. Okay, 
So um, you can turn to a neighbor if you're uncomfortable doing that. You don't have to. And then you can share what it is that you heard Jesus say to you. We'll probably take about another minute. This is not like a long greeting time type of thing. So um, if you would like to, you can share it with someone else. Okay, why don't we wrap it up. We are going to take communion. Um, it's something we do every single Sunday. Communion represents the when Jesus did this at the Last Supper. They took, passed around a loaf of bread, and he said, um, this is my body broken for you. Again, that his perfect body... He chose to have it broken for us because we're unable to pay for the price of sin. And that the wine represents his blood, which is poured out for our sins, past, present, and future sins. And that in him, we are now the righteousness of God, that he sees us as being sinless. That when God looks upon us, he sees us as being little Christs. And that these are the signs of the covenant, uh, bread which is found in every home, and fruit, which is found in every home, because the signs of the covenant are everyday things, because the kingdom of God is an everyday experience. And then at the same time, I ingest them, I eat these things, because Christ is within me. And then I do this on a regular basis, because um, I'm broken, and as Paul would say, I'm a leaky pot, right? I, I need to do this on a regular basis. So the way that we do this, um, if you are a believer in Jesus or if you would like to start following Jesus today, then the communion table is open to you. We come down the center aisle here. We take a piece of the cracker. We dip, dip it into the wine, and then we go around the sides like this so we can keep the flow of it all going. We hold on to the elements, uh, and then we all take them. Uh, we will all participate in communion at the same time. So if you would like to take communion, please come down. thank you for your gift to us. We thank you for your sacrifice that purchased us from the slavery of sin that we can now breathe within your presence 
were loved unconditionally. That you would help us to experience that love over and over and over again, Lord. You know that we wander. Would you continually just call us deeper and deeper into this relationship with you? We thank you. Let's partake. Well, why don't we stand? <clears throat> Again, we have our potluck downstairs. Uh, you can come and eat as much food as you can. Um, and then we're also going to be doing the financial class at the same time. We'll meet in the prayer room right over here. We will have people up front who would love to pray for you. If you have anything going on in your life that you feel like you need someone to lay hands on you and pray for you. Um, but if not, I'm just going to pray for a prayer of blessing. And then we can either go downstairs or you can go out and enjoy the last part of your... Sunday. Well, Lord, we thank you for this time to gather. We thank you for the gift of the church, brothers and sisters, to be able to journey with. We thank you for the gift of your word, and that, Lord, even though sometimes it can communicate difficult truths to us, it communicates your truth and your goodness to us. We can know you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes to your presence all around us. Would you help us to see you moving and working in our lives, around our lives, and, and in the lives of people that you want us to love on? Would you guide us and show us uh, just the path to follow you, Lord? Thank you, and we love you. In this name we pray. Amen. Amen.